We're in Hebrews 8. If you have a Bible, you can open it there or turn it on to there if it's on your phone. And the next few chapters are introducing us to the new covenant. And this morning, I'm going to introduce this to you with some historical context. But first, let's start in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary in the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. We have great news. The writer is saying to us, here's the main point of everything that I've been saying. Remember last week, Melchizedek, some of you are having a hard time, you know, like, wow, this is a lot, a lot of Sunday school that I missed out on, right? And Jeff's walking us through, explaining the history of this guy, Melchizedek. And now he says, let me bottom line it for you. The main point of everything that I'm saying is this. You ready? You have a high priest who sat down and ministers in the new covenant. Go tell some stranger out on the street, we've got great news. Jesus ministers in the true tabernacle. What do you think the response is going to be? A blank stare. Just like many of you, if you're honest, you might think, that's great. That's a lot of church language that should get me all excited, but I just don't know what that means. I've got great news. We're going to explain why that is such great news. And here's why we don't know how amazing that news is, the main point of Hebrews. We don't know what our biggest problem is this morning. What's your biggest problem? What's the biggest problem you've got going in your life right now? I think that is one of the reasons why that doesn't land with such power. So we're going to give some context, explain this. So let me start with with this. I had a newly married friend. We were in our early 20s. And he went uh, to one of our pastor friends for some marriage advice. What advice can this pastor give him? And so this pastor gave him some advice in the form of a riddle. He said to my friend, your wife wants one thing from you. Can you guess what it is? He's like, no, let me think. He goes, well, come back next week and see if you can tell me what the one thing your wife wants from you. So he went back after a few days, it was killing him. So he Talk to the pastor. This is a, this is a true story, true-ish. I'm, I may be embellishing a little bit, but it's mostly true. Um, I don't know if he really came back a few days later. I know it was like a week, and I know that this happened. His, he said to his, his pastor, he said, well, can you give me a hint? Can you give me a hint? And the pastor says, yes. It's one word, and it starts with a P. Now, my 22-year-old friend thought, that's easy. I, I know exactly what that is, but he said it can't be that easy. So he started guessing like progress. She wants my progress, like me to change. She wants my personality. She wants my uh, passion, my passion, my devotion. She wants 
Maybe people, like kids. Like, what is, what is this that she wants from me that starts with a P? So he comes back to our pastor friend, and he said, your wife wants one thing from you. She wants your presence. Some of you are very relieved. Um, she wants your presence. This is what every relationship wants most, right? Presence. They want you. They don't just want your salary or the income you can provide and all the other things that you can give to them. They want you. God wants this for you as well. He wants your presence. He wants to be with you. But here's the problem. How does the story begin? Page one, paradise with God, right? Adam and Eve with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. But one page in, what happens? You go on page one and you turn it to page two and what happens? They are separated from God. The loss of God's presence kicked out of Eden, barred from the tree of life, and here we are. The loss of God's presence, the root of every problem we have on this earth, the fighting that happens between ethnic groups and nations, the fighting between a husband and a wife, the fighting between siblings, Sisters, brothers, brothers and sisters, cousins, broken. We have lost the presence of God on this earth. And that is our greatest problem this morning. You have no greater problem in your life than the separation from God that causes alienation and separation and conflict with the people in your life and even those you love the most. So the question of this book is, how will God get us back? How will God get us back into his presence? He wants to be with us. And there's no way we can solve that problem. So how is God going to solve the presence problem that we have. Hebrews 8 assumes that you know how God solves the problem in the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews assumes that, that you know this, this part of your Bible, the Old Testament, but this morning I'm going to assume that you don't know the history and the customs of the Jewish people. And so we need some backstory so we can understand the significance of the great news that Jesus ministers in the true tabernacle. You guys uh, remember Vince Lombardi, he would gather his, his players day one of practice and he would hold up a football and he would say, this is a football. Like, let's get back to the fundamentals. This is the Bible. <laughs> It's broken into two sections. 
What are the sections called? The Old Testament, we might call, that tells us about the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, which teaches us about the New Covenant. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? A covenant is a sacred contract between two parties where there are stipulations that both parties must honor. So you see a covenant in a marriage covenant. Two parties come together and they've got witnesses. They sign a marriage license. They make these vows. This is a covenant. And God did this with his people, the Israelites. That's what the Old Testament is about. The Old Covenant, this sacred contract between God and his people. Where was the Old Covenant established? If we look at Hebrews 8, it uses this word tabernacle. Some of you are, what is, what is a tabernacle? We're going to talk about that here in a second. But some of us might be confused about, well, there's the tabernacle and the temple. What are those things? How are they different? Well, the reason that the writer of Hebrews uses the word tabernacle is because we're going to see also in chapter 9, he wants us to think Exodus 19. This is where the covenant started. So we need to go back and see the wedding ceremony between God and his people. Some of you uh, have never heard of, wait, there was a wedding? There was a ceremony? Totally. It happened in Exodus 19. And that's why he uses the word tabernacle, not to be confused with the temple, the permanent place in Jerusalem. Both of them represent the same thing, but he uses tabernacle so that we'll go back to Exodus 19 to remember the covenant. Okay, so let's go back there. Exodus 19, let's look at verses three through six. Moses went up onto the mountain, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, listen, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. God is restoring a broken relationship. And listen to what happens next. The Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. Here's the significance of this. There's three steps in God getting his people back into his presence. Step number one he needs you to know what his presence is like, right? Because if all you've experienced is life on this earth, before he brings you back into his presence, he needs you to understand who he is, 
what he's like. And so he wants you to know that his, perf- his presence is like perfection. So Old Covenant, you can write this down. Old Covenant, three things about the Old Covenant that we see in Hebrews 8 that I'm giving you the backstory of. Number one is the tabernacle. This is the portable tent that symbolizes the holy presence of God. Remember what God said to Moses. Don't let them come close to my presence. They will die if they do. And we see this. The temple, the tabernacle, where God's covenant explains to us what God's presence is like, it's perfection, it's holiness. Here's the tension that we see right away is that you are made to be with God. You are made to be with God. God designed you for his presence. The problem is that no sin can enter. You will die if you try to bring your sin into the presence of God. That's why the old covenant begins with this tabernacle to represent the presence of God. So I used to visit my cousins on their farm and they had livestock. And what's the number one rule of every farmhouse? And they had, they had pigs and cows. And the number one rule of every farmhouse is what? Don't let the pigs into the house. Right? That's, that's not even rule number one. That's just so assumed, right? Just, duh. Like, you don't let the animals into the house. Uh, there's a, a book by Orwell on the dystopian, you know, it, when uh, this, this book of when the animals take over the house. It's, it's not pretty. It's not good. But actually, one thing I remember is not don't let the pigs into the house. But I do remember my aunt. Like, if you even were with the livestock, You were with the pigs. Don't even think about coming into the house unless you've changed your clothes, showered, you have new clothes on, right? Why? Because the house is holy. The house is where the humans live. They don't eat mud. They eat food and they eat with silverware, right? We don't bring manure into the house, This is like very basic stuff. Okay, this is why God established the tabernacle. To show what his presence is like. This is our greatest problem. If you die without a solution to your manure problem, which is your sin, you will not be able to enter the presence of God. Or you will enter his presence just long enough for him to tell you that you cannot be in his presence. That is humanity's greatest problem, according to the Bible, is our sin problem. So to make a bad situation worse, what happens back in Exodus? The story continues. So Moses goes up on Mount Sinai Then God spoke all these words, Exodus 20, verse 1. Spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. 
do not have any other gods besides me. Do not have other gods besides me. Some of, does this trigger something? Maybe if I say it the old school way, you shall have no other gods before me. You're like, oh, the 10 commandments, right? He goes on. No images of the Lord. You shall not profane the name of the Lord your God. Honor your father and mother. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You shall not murder. Shall not commit adultery, coveting, right? The Ten Commandments are given right at the beginning of this old covenant. Why? What's the significance of these commands? Step number two in the old covenant, it includes the law. Ten commands inscribed on tablets of stone that demand obedience. So we have a tabernacle and we have a law and these commands are perfect. It's as though God is saying, this is what life is like in my kingdom. There's no murder. People don't fight with each other. There's no rage and anger. People get along. People don't covet other people's stuff. People don't steal and take what's not theirs. The commands tell us what God's presence and person is like. But here's the weakness of these commands. Have any of you obeyed these commands perfectly? No. So these commands don't solve the problem of God's presence. They actually make it worse. Think about it like this. God's law is like a mirror. When I look into the mirror and I get really close, what happens the closer I get to the mirror? It draws out my imperfections, right? And the things that I, I tell my kids, I'm like, oh, acne, pimples, to tell my teenagers, that's not just a teenager problem. Like old people still get that stuff, right? And then you get look closer and closer and you've got hair growing out of your ears and out of your, you're just like, oh, this is nasty. I didn't know aging was like this, right? And you see it closer and closer and you see wrinkles and you see imperfections. And guess what? The mirror is not the problem. It's me, it's the person looking in the mirror, right? The mirror is perfect. It's giving a perfect reflection. And, and the closer I get, the more it draws out my imperfections. And that's how it is with the law. Remember, Jesus said, oh, you think you haven't murdered, so you've kept the law. I tell you, if you've been angry in your heart with somebody, you have committed murder. It's like, oh, you think you're pretty good. You're just, you're just not looking close enough into the mirror to see the reality of your sin. It's worse than you think. The law is imperfect. It's perfect, but it's weak in the sense that it can't change my imperfection problem. It can't change the person looking into it. So we go on, Exodus 24, verse 7. 
Listen to what happens next in this marriage ceremony of the old covenant, God and his people. Look what happens. So Moses then took the covenant scroll, read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. You guys, this is actually hilarious. He gives the 10 commandments and the people are like, totally, we'll do all that. We know how that ends, right? I mean, they don't even do a single word of it. They fail completely. And it's like Moses, they're like, we'll do everything recorded in the law. And Moses is like, oh, no, you won't. And he throws blood on them. What's up with that? We're going to talk more next week about the significance of the blood and the sacrifice. But for now, that's just weird. But it represents something so important. Moses saying, this is the blood of the covenant. That sounds familiar. We'll talk about this in a second. If we go back to Hebrews 8, verse 3, it explains that every high priest is appointed to offer these gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. The priests come in. This is the final step of the covenant to deal with our sin problem. The old covenant includes priests. These are mediators who offer sacrifices for the people We need someone to come between us and God and bring us back to him. And this mediator is a priest who comes with a sacrifice. Again, more on this next week. But let me ask the question. This is a very important question at this point. We're going to move on. The marriage ceremony is over. Did God's old covenant, tabernacle, law, priests, did God's old covenant plan to bring people back to himself work? Did it work? Look at Hebrews 8 verse 7. If that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, see, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Did the old covenant work? No. That's why they call it the old covenant. It's not anymore. It didn't work in the, in the language of Hebrews 8. That covenant was, had fault in it. There was a problem with it. So then I asked the question, then what was the point? Why did God not send Jesus into the Garden of Eden to just be the sacrifice and be done with it? Why did we have to go through, like, this is a lot of stuff. 
Why did we have to go through all these years of a failed covenant? Why? Look at verse 5. These serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And he's going to go on in chapter 9 and 10 to tell us some of the shadows and copies. He's saying this was a, if any of you guys love literature and movies, this is a massive foreshadowing. There's anticipation that's building. What is it going to be? Angels long to look into these things. The tabernacle, God is holy. The law, we are not. The priests, we need a mediator. And verse Hebrews 8, 6 says, But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better, cov- on better promises. Moses in Exodus says, this is the blood of the covenant. And what does Jesus say in communion? When he takes the bread and the cup, what does he say in Matthew 22? He says, or Matthew 26, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 22, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Could you imagine these Israelite Hebrew disciples remembering Exodus 19, and all that they had learned from their rabbis growing up. And Jesus looks at them and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's the significance of the statement. Jesus sat down, which is symbolic of it's finished, There's rest. Forgiveness is accomplished. He sits down and ministers. That means he serves in the true tabernacle. And in the next five verses, in the next few chapters, he quotes Jeremiah 31 and he explains the new covenant. And the first thing you need to know about the new covenant is that Jesus gets you access into the true tabernacle. Remember, this tabernacle is just a foreshadowing. That's why God said, hey, Moses, here's a window into heaven. Now I want you to go make a copy of this. It's to show you what heaven is like, the holiness of God. And Jesus gets you access 
into the true tabernacle. Some of you guys remember John 1 where he says, Jesus came and dwelt among us. The word is, he tabernacled among us. Jesus is the presence of God. That's why we don't set up a tent anymore. That's why we don't need to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and worship at the temple because it's not about geography anymore. It's about the presence of Jesus Christ giving us access wherever we are into heaven and Jesus serves there for us. And then he says in verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make. Again, this is quoting Jeremiah 31. A prophecy. I will make this covenant with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws onto their minds. I will write them on their hearts. Remember the old covenant inscribed on tablets of stone. In the new covenant, God is going to to just etch it onto your soul. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen. Each Brother or sister saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. The second thing about the new covenant, Jesus inscribes the law on your heart. How does he do this? He enters your heart with the presence of the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God lives inside you. That's amazing. That's why Christians, when they sin, they feel bad about it. There's guilt, right? Why is there guilt? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, that's not who you are. That's why when you sin, you feel this kind of dissonance because God's presence is in you. The law is written on your heart. You don't need to just show up and me tell you that you're a sinner. You know when you sin that it's wrong, right? And here's what I want to say to you, Veritas, as a word of encouragement. Some of you, are struggling with sin. You are in a war with sin and you hate your sin and you struggle with your sin. And here's what I want to say to you. Congratulations. I think that means that you're a Christian because before Jesus, you didn't struggle with sin You just did it. Before the presence of God was in you, you didn't struggle with slander and gossip with your coworkers. You just did it. You threw all kinds of people under the bus. You didn't struggle with pornography. You just did it, right? That's what unbelievers do. You just sin. You just get what you want with your money. And you don't think about Was I greedy or selfish? You just got what was yours. You didn't struggle with getting drunk. You just did it. But now that the Holy Spirit is in you, God's word is etched on your soul. And here's the other cool thing. I love how in the new covenant, 
He doesn't say, oh, we're going to need priests to teach all the, the people about the Lord. He says, no, all of you will know the Lord. This is great news. You didn't need to come here this morning for me to be your mediator, to get you closer to God. If you're a new Christian, you didn't just need me to teach you because I know everything, I'm the expert, and you don't know anything. No, like I can learn from you because you have the Holy Spirit. Like You know the Lord. You have things to teach me about God. And in this Jesus community, there are no experts. We're all just followers with the Lord. We, we all can know Jesus. We all have access. We don't need any person in this room to be a mediator to get us special access to God because we have Jesus. That's amazing news for all of us this morning. It's so Good, and in verse 12 he says, and I will forgive their wrongdoing. I will never again remember their sins. In the new covenant, Jesus, your priest, became the sacrifice. And here's what that means, holiness. He cleanses you of all unrighteousness and gets you access. You don't smell like a pig anymore. You're not dirty, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, you're welcome. Your sin is gone. He remembers your sin no more. Some of you struggle with guilt about things that you've done and how can God ever forgive me? Well, here's great news for you. This is the last moment that you ever have to worry about that guilt and shame from your past. Right here, it just says it. Let, the God, let God's word right now just land in your soul. I will forgive their wrongdoing and will never again remember their sins. If God has forgotten your sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west, I think it's okay for you to do the same thing. Let Jesus find you this morning and let Jesus forgive you. And then it says, Jesus sat down and ministers for you in the sanctuary. He ministers, he serves you. We may get to this more next week. He, in chapter seven, it says, he lives to intercede for you. Jesus right now is praying for you. If you know Jesus, he is bringing your name into the presence of God and he is praying for you, interceding for you. This is one of the most amazing things we rarely talk about, the intercession of Jesus for his people so in the new covenant, Christ is with you, he is in you, and he is for you. The very presence of God. Remember our presence problem. Jesus has solved that. So now you will never be alone. This past year and a half, one of the most tragic, saddest things through this struggle with COVID has been the separation of loved ones. Probably most of you in this room know a story about this kind of separation. And it happened for a couple in Veritas just two weeks ago. Tracy Williams was battling COVID and it was getting bad. Mike took her to the hospital, her husband, 
And he dropped her off and the nurses came out and said, you cannot come in. They took Tracy and Mike and Tracy were separated. And all he could do was get the news from the nurses. It's going from bad to worse. Tracy is slipping away. Two weeks ago, just right after this, I got a call from Mike. He said, Mark, you might be doing a funeral. It's not looking good. Sort of miraculously, they were able to get a, an ICU bed at, at Trinity Hospital over in Bettendorf. She was intubated for, I think, eight or more days over a week. She was completely sedated on oxygen. Many of you have been praying for Tracy. Thousands of people all over the world have been praying for Tracy Williams. So Mike would call and get these daily updates. Um, Jeff was able to go visit Tracy, pray with her. Well, last week, after a week of sedation, they were slowly getting her off oxygen, and they were able to wake her up. And I was with her in some of the first moments of her taking her own breath. And I was with Mike. We went together. We went into the hospital room. And Tracy pulls us close. She reaches out and she grabs us and she pulls us close to her face. And her eyes get big and she says, I have seen things, amazing things. And we're down by her and she says, pray. And so down by her face, I started quoting Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I went on and quoted and got to the end. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. And Tracy says, wait. Waiting. Jesus, we wait for you. Jesus, we wait for you. This went on for what felt like five minutes. And then she pulls me close and she says, sing. And so I just start singing the first song that comes to my mind. In Christ alone, 
my hope is found. And she sang every word of that song. All four verses. She used every ounce of strength she had to sing. And when we got done, I remember that Tracy has Psalm 95 on her license plate. And so I said, Psalm 95, Tracy. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And I forgot the rest of the psalm, so I opened it, and I held it, and I started reading it, and she grabs my Bible, and she pulls it close, and she grabs the page of my Bible, and it starts to crinkle up, and Mike's eyes get really big, and Tracy just rips it right out of my Bible and holds it onto her heart. And Mike is like, I'm so sorry, Mark. I just, Tracy, you should not have done that. Tracy, and she's just smiling with Psalm 95 on her heart. And so he starts singing the old song. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. And she starts singing it with me. And then... She went back to sleep, and Mike and I looked at each other totally stunned. Here's what's true. Tracy was never alone. Jesus Christ was with her, ministering to her, talking to her, you're a Christian, how do you apply this to your life? You, you just remember, you will never be alone. And even right now, Jesus is serving you by praying for you. I opened up Facebook this morning, and Tracy posted, she said, I know I have a long road to recovery, but God is already telling my story, and I know a few new saints this week. People are coming to know Jesus through her story. Um, I told about this story on Facebook, and um, it's, it's gone out for sure. She says, I was telling my sister today, do you remember when I was five and waiting at the end of my road with my bags packed? I told my dad that I was waiting for the gospel train. Little Tracy at five, with her bags packed, waiting for the gospel train. She said, Jesus has always been the love of my life, but now it is more urgency to get people to heaven. He's coming. Will you be ready? If you don't know Jesus, consider this an invitation. We're going to end with communion and invite the worship team to come out. And we've got bread and the juice. And you know what this symbolizes. This is the new covenant in his blood, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let's do this in remembrance of Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you to minister to us this morning. So I pray that as as we come to the table, repenting of our sin, turning away from our sin, confessing our sin, admitting that we are sinners, I pray that you 
will speak forgiveness over your people this morning. Heal broken hearts this morning. People who've been separated from loved ones, heal their heart this morning. Marriages that are struggling, separated, bring healing this morning. Anxious minds, fearful hearts, Lord. Minister to us, we pray.